let's start with prayer. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to focus on your word, which reveals your heart to us. May your truth drill deep down into our hearts for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine that you have decided to travel to a remote part of Alaska, only accessible by air. You hire a woman by the name of Molly Malarkey, who owns a small airplane, and she flies you up into the Alaskan sky. After the plane levels off, you strike up a conversation. Molly, how long have you been flying people around this beautiful state? Molly answers, well, actually, congratulations. You are my first passenger. This concerns you a little, so you ask, have you just finished your pilot training? Molly says, I didn't finish the training. I, I, it was hard, and I don't think I really need it. I enjoy flying by the seat of my pants. As you process the realization that your life rests in Molly Malarkey's untrained hands, you can probably come up with some very good reasons why she should have submitted herself to the discipline of pilot training. With even more urgency, we should contemplate the importance of submitting ourselves to God's discipline. And we will do that this morning by considering Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father in whom he delights. This proverb presents us with a problem. The Lord disciplines those he loves, and yet we resist that discipline. We would not need this warning to not uh, uh, despise or grow weary of his discipline unless we tended to despise and grow weary of it. In our opposition to God's discipline, we stand against the sovereign Lord of the universe. That is a problem. To explore what the Bible says about this issue, we can ask three questions. Why do we need discipline? Why do we resist God's discipline? And how do we submit to God's discipline? First, why do we need God's discipline? The words reproof and reprove in these verses refer to correction. Reproof would be needed if we are headed in the wrong direction to turn us the right way. All of us are born sinners headed for destruction. In Psalm 51 verse 5, David cries out, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Like David, every human being has inherited the corruption of sin from their parents. And we can trace that legacy all the way back to our original parents, Adam and Eve. In Romans 5, uh, 12, we see that sin came into the world through one man, 
that is, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin leads to death, eternal death. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. From birth, every heart needs discipline to free it from the folly of sin. Proverbs 5, verses 22 through 23 also mentions this folly. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. The Lord's way does not seem right to us because our perspective has been distorted by sin, which then leads us astray. Think again about Molly Malarkey. In her early attempt at flight training, she would have learned to look out the cockpit window and use the Earth's horizon as a reference point to determine whether or not the plane was flying upright. If Molly had progressed in her training, she would have learned to use instruments for times in which she cannot see the horizon, such as at night or when it's cloudy. Molly really should have persisted in this training because without the reference point of the Earth's horizon, a pilot's brain can become disoriented um, and misinterpret the flight instrument readings uh, so that he does not actually know if the plane is uh, right side up or sideways or upside down. This could lead the pilot to inadvertently guide the airplane into an irreversible, deadly downward spiral. Sin does this to us. It disorients us from God's way. Uh, On our own, we end up in a death spiral. In his mercy, God does not leave us on our own. He disciplines us to turn us away from the destruction of sin. If this is the case, then why do we resist his discipline? One reason we may do so is because, quite frankly, it hurts. Proverbs 20, verse 30. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. God wounds his people with painful experiences in order to remove sin from the depths of our being. But naturally, we want to avoid that pain. Another reason that we may resist God's discipline is that we have witnessed imperfect examples of discipline in our earthly relationships. Perhaps our own parents' discipline was harsh or inconsistent or absent. The parental role does not confer godlike parent, uh, godlike power onto a mother or father. As the word of God, the book of Proverbs, of course, provides perfect counsel for all of us. It contains observations of life. Do this and you'll get this result. 
But these are not promises that are true in every situation. My friend Beverly and I have shared some heartfelt conversations on this topic as it relates to parenting. She and I met 35 years ago at a time in which we were both mothers of small children. Across the years, we've encouraged one another as we took the kids to church, we taught them about the Bible, we discussed ways to address their health and their social interactions, their education, both their behavioral and their heart issues. Beverly and I anticipated their futures with great optimism. They've all now grown into adults, some with children of their own. God has brought much good into the lives of our children. And for that, Beverly and I are grateful. But our lives and the lives of our children have taken some treacherous detours. In recent conversations, Beverly and I have sadly admitted that we have not been able to completely protect our children from hard circumstances or from their own sin. Proverbs 19 verse 21 reminds us that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We might say many are the plans in the mind of a mother, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Children are not robots that we can program to spit out predictable outcomes. My four children grew up with the same rules, but they now have their own priorities and their own strategies for handling life. Not all children respond positively to discipline. Proverbs 15, verse 5, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Plus, sin is bound up in the hearts of parents as well as in the hearts of their children. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. During the years that our children were at home, Beverly and I were both married to abusive men. That environment certainly impacted our children. And I grieve the effects of my own fear and pride and selfishness on my families. Going back to Proverbs 3, verse 12, that verse compares God's discipline to an earthly parent's discipline of their child. The Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So if our families have not given or received loving, effective discipline, we may project those failures onto our heavenly father and uh, struggle to uh, submit ourselves to his discipline. We may also resist God's discipline because we misunderstand the character of it. In his commentary on the book of Proverbs, Ray Ortland discusses Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 as they pertain to suffering. He says, The bad times and hard times seem to double up when... Not if that happens. Honesty forces us to face the only two possibilities about God. Either God loves us passionately 
or God hates our guts. It is one or the other. And we all have moments when it feels like God despises us. This quote is a little shocking, but I have to confess that I have felt that way in the midst of trials. And yet, Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. God does not discipline his children out of hateful rage, but out of love, only for our good. We can trust that kind of discipline, even when we don't understand it. Which leads us to the final question. How do we overcome our resistance and submit to God's discipline? We must first remember Jesus' suffering and God's purpose in that. If God does not rage against our sin, what happens to his anger that we deserve for that sin? Jesus, who never sinned, took that anger in our place. Isaiah 53 speaks of God's punishment of Jesus. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. For the transgression of God's people, he was punished. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. God would be unjust to exact payment for our sins from us because Christ has already paid on the cross for every sin that we ever have or ever will commit. Jesus is the one crushed for our sins. Therefore, we know that God will not use suffering to crush us. As 2 Corinthians 4.8 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Jesus obeyed his Father by enduring the suffering of the cross. Philippians 2.8, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Not only has his obedience paid the penalty for our sins, Jesus also makes us righteous in God's sight. Romans 5.19, for as by the one man's disobedience, referring to Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's, Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus is the perfectly obedient son in whom God delights. The Lord delights in us as well. If we are in Christ, if we trust in him to save us from God's wrath toward our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When God looks at us, he counts Christ's righteousness as our righteousness, his obedience as our obedience. We should live in gratitude that Christ's suffering fulfills God's purpose of salvation. Our suffering fulfills God's purpose as well, but not in the same way. When God disciplines us, our pain does not pay for our sin or make us righteous in God's eyes. Instead, it trains us. 
As we read in Revelation 3.19, we properly respond to God's discipline with repentance, turning from sin to God's way. Because we are inclined from birth towards sin, we require training to steer us in the right direction so that we can repent. Hebrews 12 describes this training, beginning with verses 1 through 4. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In our struggle against sin, we look to, we consider Jesus who shed his blood to pay for our sin. No matter what we are going through, God delights in us. If we could just grasp that truth, then we would not grow weary and faint-hearted. Looking at verses 5 and 6, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. These two verses quote those verses that we began with, Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, reminding us to submit to God's discipline rather than resenting it or becoming hopeless when we face it. Hebrews 12, verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Once again, God's discipline is not evidence of his hatred, but rather his love toward us as his children. Verses 10 and 11, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Responsible parents discipline their children as well as they know how, but they don't always know how and, uh, or how to make that happen. Our creator God knows exactly what is best for us, which is holiness, that we would turn from sin. He has declared us righteous in his sight, and he wants our lives to display that righteousness, to bear the fruit of it. Hebrews 12, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. Straight paths, paths on which we walk in God's way. But our hands are drooping and our knees are weak. Like Molly Malarkey, we have no strength to persevere under God's discipline. We must rely on God to provide that strength. The Apostle Paul asked for this in the magnificent prayer found in Ephesians 3. I bow my knees before the Father 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul makes his appeal as a son to his loving Heavenly Father. He recognizes that the Holy Spirit lives in each Christian's heart and empowers us to comprehend the expanse of Christ's love for us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us by rooting us and grounding us in that love. In the midst of our suffering, we can trust the God who has suffered to save us. If we look to this love, if we consider Jesus and remember that our lives rest safely in his hands, the problem of Proverbs 3 Verses 11 and 12 transforms into a promise of life and righteousness and peace with our Father. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let us conclude in prayer with the final words of Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.